What's happening, guys? Sam Adams here, and welcome to a brand new episode of Caffeinate today for May the 23rd of 2019. My name is Samuel Adams, and welcome to today's show. Of course, if you are brand new to the program, this is a daily gaming news podcast where I bring you the hottest gaming news from around the industry and keep you up to date on everything happening in the industry we all love. And today we have some very big news for fans of the mobile platform because League of Legends is reported to be coming to a mobile platform near you, including iOS and Android, if Reuters is to be believed. And traditionally, that's a pretty reliable source. On top of that, we have some super data that shows Apex Legends is down very, very much in just a couple of months. In addition to that, Xbox Live users and Xbox Games with Gold users have a lot to love, but on top of that, if you have Xbox Game Pass, oh man, you are in for some treats because some big games are going to be coming to the service very soon. The PlayStation 5 will not immediately kill the PlayStation 4. We have more news about what the future life of the PlayStation 4 looks like at least three years after the release of its successor. Firewatch publishers introduce an inexplicably crank-based gaming handheld console, and I will say, although it is mind-boggling that this is coming out in 2019, this little handheld is something that definitely catches the eye, and it's one of those pieces of gaming culture that I absolutely adore, so we will be talking more about that as well. Neo 2 is coming out very soon, but on top of that, there is a very limited closed alpha happening between May 24th and June the 2nd, and on top of that, we have a brand new closed alpha trailer. It looks pretty dang good. GOG's new client aims to integrate all of your games and friends across PC and consoles. We'll talk more about what GOG Galaxy is becoming since obviously didn't work out the first time. Razer is officially closing the Ouya store, killing the console even more than it was already dead. Uh, and then Just Cause is getting a new movie, but you might be shocked to find out where it's actually originating from. What it means is that it actually could be a genuinely good Just Cause movie, which is not something I think anybody anticipated. But that is our lineup for today's show. And again, if you are brand new here, this show, Caffeinate, is hosted five days a week, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, if you did want to catch up on the hottest gaming news from around the industry. But... Without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into today's top stories. First off, League of Legends might be coming to smartphones. Riot is said to be working with parent Tencent to bring the MOBA to your pocket. League of Legends might eventually take up residence on fans' iOS and Android home screens. Developer Riot is said to be working with parent company Tencent on a mobile version of the ultra-popular MOBA. The pair have been working on the port for over a year, according to a Reuters report, though you may have to wait until at least 2020 to play it. A mobile version might help Riot expand League of Legends' footprint in Asia, where mobile gaming tends to prove more popular than PC or console games, while fans elsewhere will be able to get their fix on the go. If Riot and Tencent do release a mobile version of League of Legends, it would join a number of other major games in making the leap from PCs to pockets, following PUBG, Hearthstone, and of course, Fortnite. Riot is said to have turned down a suggestion from Tencent several years ago to create a mobile version of League of Legends. The latter then released its own mobile, mobile MOBA, excuse me, what a strange word that would be, uh, Honor of Kings in 2015. It became a huge hit in China, but failed to gain traction in the West under a different name, Arena of Valor. However, would League of Legends see a bit of a different turnout? Would we have a different situation? I think we very well could. This is a very big deal because of the size and the scope of League of Legends. It still remains an incredibly lucrative and popular game, even in 2019. 
Now, of course, behind the scenes at Riot, there's a lot going on that we won't get into on today's show. Of course, there are previous episodes of Caffeinate that dive into the bit of a, a disrupt that's going on behind the scenes over there. A good disrupt, nonetheless. Uh, however, when it comes to the game, when it comes to League of Legends, could it work on iOS and Android? Absolutely. Whenever you have Honor of Kings and Arena of Valor, which are basically the same thing with a different name, uh, doing very well in other parts of the world to limit League of Legends in that way makes literally no sense considering it is very popular in different areas of the world already. So to go ahead and port it to mobile just makes plain sense. I don't know why this hasn't been done before. Of course, Tencent suggested it, but apparently they turned that down. It's money on the table whenever you turn something like this down. And I know that gaming isn't about the money. The gaming industry isn't always about the money. But at the end of the day, if you have the opportunity to make more money by literally bringing your game to another platform, if it's all well and good in the contracts, you very well should. That just makes sense. Then you can get more money to put back towards development, to pay your people more, etc. That is how you do it. Uh, but nonetheless, if you are a fan of League of Legends, I have good news for you. It could be coming, but it could be a while. In fact, it could be next year before you see this thing launching on a phone near you. And again, this is all just coming to us from a report. Nothing confirmed, nothing announced, just a report from Reuters, which again is a very notable source. So hey, probably has some credence to it. However, moving on, let's talk about some figures for last month's digital revenue because Apex Legends is down 74% in two months, but we have some other stuff that is worth talking about as well. EA's Battle Royale shooter Apex Legends is experiencing a steep decline from the highs of its launch, according to the latest report from Superdata. Apex Legends earned $24 million in April, Superdata said, which is down significantly for the second consecutive month. In February, the company put Apex Legends digital revenue at $92 million, meaning that it has declined 74% in the space in two months. Despite its incredible start, which Superdata claimed was the best ever for a free-to-play title, Respawn Entertainment's game is no no longer even in the top 10 for either console or PC. The game making the most noise in April, uh, the console chart, was Mortal Kombat 11, which helped keep, helped keep, there we go, let's pronounce things, Epic's Fortnite from the top spot. Earlier this week, MPD said Mortal Kombat 11 is the second best-selling game of the year in the US, which is shocking to me. I didn't know that Mortal Kombat sold like that anymore. But across PC and console, Mortal Kombat 11 sold 1.8 million units digitally, the highest in the series history. The previous game, Mortal Kombat 10, sold 400,000 units, a huge disparity that Superdata said is due to the general increase in digital downloads. This drove a 17% year-on-year increase in the premium console segment, which showed the most growth overall. PC declined 4% over the previous year, despite some growth in free-to-play revenue. Overall, $8.86 billion was spent digitally across console, PC, and mobile in April alone, and that is an increase of 7% over the same month last year. So what can we take away from these new numbers and new figures? Digital is incredibly healthy. Uh, it's still continuing to grow month on month, but overall, Apex Legends not continuing to grow, not doing well, and I think there's a lot that goes into that. Could we see a resurgence with Apex Legends? Yes, if it is executed properly, because we have more content obviously going to be announced at EA Play uh, in June around the time the E3 is being hosted. So if that update is immediate, if that update is girthy, if that update brings stuff like a new map potentially, uh, new weapons definitely, uh, some new legends to play as or champions, whatever they're called in this in this specific game because there are so many terms for these people now. Uh, 
whatever you want to call it, whatever needs to be done, if there is more content pumped into Apex Legends, there's a high likelihood that people will continue to come back to it because it is genuinely just a fun game. The mechanics of Apex Legends are there. There's a solid foundation. It just needs more content. Now, of course, they didn't pump out content on a weekly basis because of the fact that that's very, very unhealthy amounts of crunch to be putting on your people and so they went ahead and decided to balance life and work and enjoy themselves while also continuing to work on Apex Legends and it's just the fact that gamers have gotten used to getting weekly or bi-weekly updates and to have something only updated in a big way every few months is a little bit uncomfortable just because of the fact that we've gotten used to being pretty much catered to. That's really what it comes down to. I digress. That's a topic for another video. What you need to know is that Apex Legends is down 74% in terms of digital revenue in just two months, and it is completely out of the PC and console top 10, but the digital in other areas of the industry is doing very, very well. Now, speaking of digital, there are some downloads that are going to be coming to an Xbox near you if you do have Xbox Game Pass. And these downloads, these freebies, if you will, if you want to call freebies something that are included with subscriptions, you know what I'm saying. New games are coming to Xbox Game Pass, and it's a very exciting time to have the streaming service. Microsoft has announced eight more games coming to its monthly Xbox Game Pass subscription service in the next few weeks. It contains a blend of older titles, such as the first two Banner Saga games, as well as The Outer Wilds and Void Bastards, both of which come to the service the same day as their launch, and those are the ones that I want to circle and highlight for you. May 23rd, you are getting Metal Gear Survive and The Banner Saga. May 29th, you get Void Bastards. May 30th, you get Dead by Daylight and The Outer Wilds. And June the 6th, you get Full Metal Furies, The Banner Saga 2, and Super Hot as well. And of course, plenty of other games available via the service, but without a doubt, the two that stand out entirely are Void Bastards and The Outer Wilds, because uh, these are just absolutely phenomenal looking games, specifically Outer Wilds. That's one that really did catch my eye, one that I think is going to be a big hit in the indie scene over the course of the next few months. Uh, but to have them come into Game Pass on the same day as their release is a big, big deal. Uh, that's something that is definitely setting them apart from the competition, because hey, if you get a game for free or included with your subscription on day one, there is literally no reason for you to not play it. Like, just dive in and give it a shot. It's a good time. Uh, I just finished recording next week's episode of The Drop, which of course, Shameless Promo, is a weekly show on the YouTube channel where I let you guys know what games are coming out across all of the consoles and PC. And Void Bastards is one that I covered extensively. Very good looking game, very cool looking game. Uh, but nonetheless, excited to see what the future holds for Xbox Game Pass as the next generation begins to approach, as more people begin to subscribe. Of course, a very big service already, uh, but definitely a lot of room to grow. If I had to pick one to skip entirely, Metal Gear Survive would definitely be up there, but nonetheless, all of them are included with Xbox Game Pass and are totally worth your time if you do want to dive in and give them a look. But let's move on and talk about the PlayStation 4, because of course PS5 is on the horizon. Very big deal, a very big game coming out very soon, uh, but or a very big gaming console coming out very soon, but the PlayStation 4 will still be supported for three years after the release of the PlayStation 5. During Sony's investor relations meeting, Jim Ryan, president and CEO of Sony Interactive Entertainment, detailed the role that the PS4 will play after the release of the PlayStation 5. 
The PS4 will be a key part of Sony's gaming strategy for three years following the debut of the next console. Sony will use the PlayStation 5 as a platform that pushes the bar for more immersive gaming using newer, higher-powered hardware to back it up, such as in proprietary solid-state hard drives. The PS4 will still aim to provide players with unique experiences over the three years after release of the PlayStation 5, but will not have the same graphical fidelity or performance capabilities. As to be expected, Sony plans to entice buyers into purchasing the PS5 by allowing them to continue playing their PS4 games using the new console's backwards compatibility function. It is worth noting that the official name of Sony's unrevealed next-gen console has not been confirmed, but come on now, we know what that thing is going to be called. Regardless, the report also seems to indicate that three of PlayStation's most talked-about games will be releasing for the PS4 instead of being launch titles exclusively on PlayStation 5. The Last of Us Part 2, Death Stranding, and Ghost of Tsushima will be on PS4, but will likely be playable on the new console. Perhaps we will even see them playable on the console's streaming service after it is released. It appears that Sony is really focusing on making the generation leap easy for players. Will you hold off buying a PlayStation 5 and keep your PlayStation 4 for the first couple of years after the launch or not? In my personal opinion, I will be diving in on day one, more than likely, depending on how the next console shakes out. Of course, Xbox bringing a lot to the table in terms of both hardware and gameplay for the next gen, but PlayStation also likely has a lot up their sleeve, so it's kind of still up in the air as to which one I personally am going to be going with, or perhaps I'll just save up money and get both, we'll see what happens, but... Nonetheless, exciting times to be hypothesizing and seeing reports like this. But what can be broken down here? You know, what can we really read into this? It's good to see that the PlayStation 4 is not being abandoned, but I want to highlight the fact that The Last of Us Part 2, Death Stranding, and Ghost of Tsushima are all going to be also on the PS4 as well as potentially the PlayStation 5. And you might be saying, what exactly does that mean? Are they going to be limited by the PlayStation 4 hardware and then not look as good on the PlayStation 5? Or are they just going to be on PS4 and then die whenever the PlayStation 5 comes out? Uh, what is the situation with these games and with others that are inevitably going to be stuck in that kind of intermediary period between consoles? Ultimately, I think we have experience with the PlayStation 4 Pro and we can kind of read into what is likely going to happen when the PlayStation 5 does roll out. So if you don't know how things work within certain games on the PlayStation 4 versus the PlayStation 4 Pro, uh, let's look at God of War for instance, which came out last year. Very good game. We talked about it extensively yesterday when we celebrated the 10 million units sold. You can go into the menu and select 4K30 if you have a PlayStation 4 Pro and a 4K display. Alternatively, you can take that additional power reallocated and put 1080p60 on a lower resolution monitor. So basically, you can kind of figure out which way you want to divide up the power and what kind of experience you would rather have. Do you want a higher resolution or a higher frame rate? And that kind of scaling, that kind of customization and settings, I think is something that is going to be a big deal going forward into the next generation of consoles because if you have discs that are backwards compatible with both the PlayStation 5 and the PlayStation 4, then you could easily pop in Ghost of Tsushima on a PS4 and get 1080p60, or you could pop it in on a PlayStation 5 and get all of the benefits of that next piece of hardware. That's kind of the way that I think this could potentially go. Now, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a software developer. I am none of these things. I'm just a dude that talks pretty well into a mic and makes podcasts and does various types of work, etc. So, take what I say with a grain of salt, but I think it's possible, and I think that is what we could be seeing whenever the next generation officially launches probably sometime around 2020 or 2021, uh, but 
these games. They're going to be very, very good. And of course, the PlayStation 5 going to be a big talk of the town at and after this year's E3 conference. But let's talk about another console, shall we? Firewatch publishers introduce an inexplicably crank-based gaming console. That's right, a crank-based gaming handheld. Now, I will say the crank in and of itself is not the main focus of the console, so take that bit and just kind of let it sit for a minute, let it hang off the side as it does in the actual picture, and let's focus on what this thing actually does. The idea of the preloaded console is not anything new, even before the days of licensed, but why? Many Genesis units dusting up the floor of your local Target and Nintendo, putting NES minis on store shelves at their own personal whims. Consoles with preloaded libraries of time-release games are a little more novel, however, and consoles with preloaded libraries of time-release games with a crank are actually genuinely new. Thus, we come to the Playdate, an all-yellow handheld from app developer Panic, whom you might know better as the publishers for Firewatch and Untitled Goose Game. Abruptly on Twitter today, the company revealed the new system, a Game Boy-like unit that comes with 12 games that release over a period of 12 weeks from developers like Katamari Damacy creator Keita Takahashi and getting over it with Bennett Foddy creator Bennett Foddy. The crank on the system doesn't actually power it just in case you were curious, in case you had any ideas in your head of being outside and running low on battery and just kind of churning it like a cheap flashlight. Uh, but it is actually a control mechanism which some games will use and others will not and acts as an addition to the D-pad with two face buttons on the front. Panic says they have been working on this system for four years now and plan to release it later in 2019, though they claim there are more surprises coming down the pike. Considering every game in it is a secret, the author imagines surprises are this thing's reason to begin with. And so, what do we have here? What a strange little idea. Now, I will say there is a big write-up on the official blog, stuff like that, of what you can expect. I believe it's on Twitter, actually, if you did want to check out the entire thread. But what this thing brings to the table is the concept of having a very simple device that gets new games delivered on pretty much a weekly basis, which is described as 12 weeks of Season 1, which, whenever you have Season 1, does imply a Season 2 could be coming down the pipe. And I also don't know if this thing has Wi-Fi compatibility, capability, whatever you want to call it. How are we going to be getting more games down the line, or will we? Again, all these things are up in the air. But what I can tell you is that this isn't trying to compete with a PlayStation Vita or a 3DS or, God forbid, the Nintendo Switch. This is something that is completely and totally unique in and of itself. That's what this thing really truly is. There is nothing like this on the market without a doubt. And to be able to have these small miniature games, uh, to be able to have these small experiences within your pocket is something that I think there might be a niche market for, or at the very least, collectors are absolutely going to fall in love with this little piece of hardware. Uh, now, I will say, not going to be a high-resolution screen. In fact, if I remember reading correctly, it's a black-and-white screen with very, very simple games. And this is going to cost $150 when it does come out. Again, shipments are still up in the air, but all these details can be found on the official site. So, is it worth it? in its current state. $150 for me is a bit high for something that has a black and white screen on top of also being pretty much a novel toy, uh, something that is definitely unique in and of itself. It looks like the construction is very solid, uh, but nonetheless, $150 that's a little bit much for me. However, for collectors, for fans of these unique little skews in gaming, this is going to be one that is without a doubt worth picking up for the collection. 
And it's cool to see this company just kind of going out there and saying, hey, let's make some hardware. You know, we've been doing a whole bunch of different stuff from time to time. They've developed games. They published games. Now they are getting into hardware. And hey, it's a cool looking little piece of tech and one that I think we are going to be looking back on fondly in 10 to 15 years because you always look back and remember these small little pieces of hardware. For instance, uh, the Game Boy Micro. Nobody remembers the Game Boy Micro, but when you look back and say, hey, that was cool. That's the same kind of feeling I think we are going to be getting from this little piece of tech. But I digress. Let's talk about Neo 2 because that's going to be a big game at this year's E3 conference and it is running a closed alpha now on PS4 looking very glorious in and of itself. We are home. Team Ninja has shared its first real gameplay footage for Neo 2 ahead of E3 2019, and I can't properly express how stoked I am, the author says, to go Oni hunting again. I forgot just how fast and ruthless Neo's combat can be when you aren't abusing sloth talismans, and actually the sequel looks even faster. You are going to need to watch this multiple times to soak everything in. Also, in case you forget, like I totally did until just this moment, Neo 2 uses a character creator in place of former protagonist William. The thought of having to train with him or otherwise skirmish frightens me greatly. Beyond the new trailer, Team Ninja has set the date for a very limited sounding Neo 2 closed alpha on PS4, running the 24th of May to June the 2nd, and some users will be invited to share their feedback. Considering how helpful the original beta was in getting Neo's name out there for the first time around, we are hopeful the sequel won't just hold a single alpha test and pack things up until launch whenever that does end up being. The series is obviously more of a known quantity at this point, but still, it is all about balancing. Either way, enjoy the completely bonkers footage and, of course, the screen grabs that do come from it, and I will say, very cool looking game. Now, of course, Neo in and of itself, the, the original game can be picked up for around between 10 and 15 bucks these days. Lots of content came out after the release of the game if you did want even more Neo or to go back to it and kind of experience it yet again. Uh, but the overall goal of this game is to just be a beautiful combat style of, of gameplay where it just is something unique in and of itself. Uh, if you are a fan of the Dark Souls style of combat, that style of, of fighting, you are going to be a big fan of Neo. Uh, I watched a good bit of the original. I have not had the chance to get my hands on it, but man, does this look to take what I saw in the original and just amplify it and make it even bigger, even better than it ever was before. Looks pretty good. So if you do want to get more info on Neo, I would definitely stay tuned for some PlayStation State of Play news, uh, potentially coming at E3 of 2019. Just looks to be a game that truly does, uh, you know, cater to the fans and really does stay true to itself throughout the entire gameplay experience uh, and considering its foundations of a couple of years back. But with that being said, right now you've got a trailer, and of course, if you are lucky enough to get into that closed, limited, very selective alpha test, enjoy that because, man, does it look like a really solid game. However, let's talk about GOG's new client, because it aims to do what Discord already does, and integrate your games and friends across PC, however, bringing a new contender to the table, as well as consoles. It's the all-in-one solution for the present-day gamer. PC storefront GOG is in the throes of updating its Galaxy client to version 2.0, and its ambitious aim is to integrate all game libraries and friend lists across PC and consoles into one pleasingly convenient place. 
Can it be done? GOG Galaxy in its current form offers a smartly featured and optional Steam-like client for buying, browsing, and launching GOG games. However, its upcoming 2.0 release is designed to create what GOG calls the all-in-one solution for the present-day gamer. It is intended to enable you to import all of your game libraries from PC and consoles so that you can organize them into a single master collection. You will obviously only be able to launch your PC games via the client, but GOG says it intends to have integration with all major platforms. There is no confirmed list of what those might be, but it seems reasonable to assume the likes of Steam, Origin, and the Epic Store. Additionally, you will have access to all of your achievements, hours played, and games owned across all platforms, including consoles as well as PC. And of course, there's a screenshot you can check out of Halo Master Chief Collection, along stuff like Gwent and Forza Horizon 4, alongside other games that are not obviously on Xbox. As for your friends, scattered as they may be across various platforms and storefronts, GOG says that its new client will bundle up all of the goings-on in your gaming circle, displaying your friends' cross-platform achievements, game time milestones, and recently played titles in a single activity feed. There is also a leaderboard system based on things like collecting, completing, and game time for an added bit of communal fun. GOG also hopes to display the likes of upcoming releases and games popular among friends and other users, and there are plans for a uniform friend list and cross-platform chat, although it sounds like those are further down the line, and I would go so far as to say borderline impossible, but not improbable. Uh, so you will find more technical details regarding the overall platform on the Galaxy 2.0 site, and if you would like to take the new client for a spin yourself, it will first be available as part of a closed beta with no start date yet, but you can register to show your interest and potentially get picked for that early on trial. So what does this mean? What do we have here? Something that is definitely trying to do something new. Now, at the beginning of the show, I said that this was trying to do what Discord is already doing, and I still stand behind that statement. But then they're adding in consoles and potentially cross-platform chat, which definitely changes the game a good bit. Now the question is, how exactly is this going to work? Because you can't necessarily install GOG on a console, so to speak. So is that cross-platform chat going to work natively via uh, stuff like Xbox and PlayStation communication systems? Again, what? How would that even... But nonetheless, very exciting to see these concepts coming into play. Now Discord already does act as the one-stop shop to launch all of your PC games, and if you don't know this, I would highly encourage you to actually look into it because it's a phenomenal way to pretty much limit the amount of time you spend going through launchers and trying to find the games that you want to play. Everything across Origin, from the Epic Game Store, from Steam, from whatever kind of launcher you might have, can all be found within Discord and you can launch all of that as it stands today. But what GOG brings to the table is this console uh, skew, and I think it very well could be a game changer for those that have a lot of friends and a lot of uh, you know people you want to play with, a lot of people you want to communicate with across various platforms. To unify them all together is something that I think still hasn't really been reached within the gaming industry, but it's something that I think could definitely be appealing to a lot of people. However, let's talk about the OUYA, because if you remember the OUYA, well, you know it didn't do that well, and it still isn't doing well, and now it's going to be dead completely because Razer is officially killing the console. A turbulent six-year run does end up coming to an end. I cannot believe it's been six years. Online services for Razer's Ouya and Forge TV services will shut down at the end of June, Razer announced today. The shutdown brings to an end the ambitious, turbulent, and mostly unsuccessful travels of the crowdfunded console for... Android video games. Ouya as a device was discontinued back in 2015 when Razer bought the startup company and merged its content library into Razer's Forge micro console ecosystem. 
While Ouya hung on as a brand name and publisher for Android games, Razer was supporting the online storefront with its Forge TV hardware. Now, both are gone. While the Ouya platform will still be available to play and discover games through online services until June the 15th, or excuse me, June 25th of 2019, after then it is more uncertain. Downloaded games may still function after that date if they don't require an online check-in at launch. Contact the game developer for confirmation, Razer says in regards to that. Owners of Forge TV and the Mad Cat's Mojo Micro Console, which could play Ouya games and access storefront, may still connect to the Google Play Store and other platforms still in use. After the Ouya and Forge TV services are discontinued, it will be up to developers to shift their games to that or another service to ensure they are still available and supported on the old hardware. Now, of course, for those that don't know, Ouya began life back in 2012 and rode the early enthusiasm for Kickstarter video gaming projects to $8.5 million in crowdfunding, still the ninth most all-time for the decade-old funding platform. The console launched to the public on June 25, 2013 at a price of $99 and sold incredibly poorly, but I will say it was available in Target for a relatively affordable price a couple of years after that. Did I buy one? No, absolutely not. Don't worry about that. Uh, but $100 definitely caught the eyes of many people, but just couldn't compete with genuine big gaming consoles. Of course, it never was meant to, but that's the way it was perceived. Ouya was supplemented with $25 million in venture capital from 2013 to 2015, and the company's sale was mainly to, excuse me, was, the company's sale was mainly so those investors could get something back for their money. Razer bought Ouya in June 2015, but it did not acquire the company's hardware assets. The company latter said it would pay about $600,000 that Ouya had left unpaid from its troubled free games initiative, an effort to spur exclusive games development for the console, which had a number of unintended consequences. Ouya did have one one hit game identified with all of its platform and brand, Matt Thorson's Towerfall, which later was ported to PS4, Windows PC, Vita, Xbox One, and Switch, with the latter coming in 2018. Exciting times, nonetheless, for the guy behind the scenes of Towerfall, which is still a pretty notable game. Uh, but again, the Ouya just never did quite take off. So, uh, will we have a playdate? kind of thing going on here, of course, with the console we just talked about, uh, repeating what the Ouya did, potentially, but at the end of the day, the Ouya had a good concept, but it just never did pan out, and again, being purchased by Razer was pretty much the nail in the coffin. It was already dead to begin with, and now it's just very, very much so more dead. Uh, but if you do have a Ouya, and you want to get on and play some Ouya games, you better do so before June the 25th of 2019, because hey, then most things are probably just going to be unplayable, and this thing will be forgotten in the halls of video game history. And by forgotten, I genuinely mean forgotten. Also, to Witchy in the chat, welcome on in. Uh, but moving on to the final topic of the day, Just Cause is getting a movie, and it's coming from the creator of John Wick. You'll know which end of that sentence I'm more excited about. Producers hope it will be the first of an ongoing franchise. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. German studio Constantine Film has acquired the rights to open-world action game Just Cause and hopes to start shooting in 2020, reports Deadline. Derek Kolstad, the creator and writer of the John Wick trilogy, has been tapped to write the script, and Kolstad will serve as a producer on the project along with Constantine's Robert Kultzer and Prime Universe Films' Adrian Escarie. 
The first Just Cause game, released by Square Enix and Avalanche Studios in 2006, follows Agency Black Ops agent Rico Rodriguez as he works to overthrow a dangerous dictator on a fictional South American island. The sequel, Just Cause 2, released for Windows, PS3, and Xbox 360 in 2010 and grew to 6 million players. Two more Just Cause games have released since then, but the hype behind the franchise just seems to have faded. The most recent game, Just Cause 4, released last December for Windows, PS4, and Xbox One and was a complete flop for Square Enix. But if the upcoming film franchise turns out to be a success at the box office, future installments could do a little bit better. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, so the question is, will Just Cause actually do well in the box office? If it is executed properly, it could potentially. So, of course, the big draw here is that the writer of John Wick has been tapped to create the franchise. And, of course, if you don't know what Just Cause is all about, uh, it's pretty much similar in a way to John Wick. Of course, less ninja flips and, 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 and skilled gunplay, but more explosions and more action-packed sequences. So, to be able to kind of channel that talent uh, that went into John Wick and bring some Just Cause into it could be a pretty solid mix, depending on if it is, again, executed properly. But nonetheless, exciting times for those that are fans of these action-packed movies because, hey, if there has ever been a game that deserves an action movie or could potentially work as an action movie, it is without a doubt, unequivocally, just cause. Uh, so we will see what happens whenever this movie eventually comes out. Again, the rights have just been acquired to make a film. So again, production probably won't start for at least the next couple of years, depending on how long it takes the author to write the script. But nonetheless, exciting times, and I do hope the best for Just Cause, because I think this article kind of nails where the franchise is. Just Cause 3 and 4 just weren't good games. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. There are cool concepts there, but nothing can match the quality and the content of Just Cause 2. I absolutely fell in love with that game, and I would love to see it come back to its former glory, but maybe the time for that franchise... It's just come and gone. But we will see what happens, of course, as more games come out and eventually as the movie does come out as well, if it does ever see the light of day. Let's be real here. However, that does round out today's episode of Caffeinate. Of course, if you are brand new to the show, welcome on in. And this show is hosted five days a week, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. If you did want to catch it live on twitch.tv slash Adams, as some people are doing in the chat. And on top of that, it's then taken down and put up on youtube.com slash Media, as well as podcast services around the world if you like that audio version. Now, I will say a bit of housekeeping to wrap up today's show. Uh, there is not going to be an episode of Caffeinate on Friday or Monday. We're doing some Memorial Day celebrating here in the States. So, if you expected a show, I apologize. The intern is non-existent. I don't have money for that. So, we don't have a show on Friday or Monday. But an episode of The Drop still goes up on Sunday. And I will catch you guys back on Tuesday for a brand new episode of Caffeinate. But until then, you guys have a phenomenal rest of your weekend. I will talk to you soon, and peace.